back everyone to another episode of the black and blue pod as always i'm your host matthew mclaughlin with my co-host noah broderick we will be going over some of the biggest storylines from this week and giving you our takeaways from last week's nfl and college football action now starting off in the college football realm penn state loses a disappointing uh loses to a disappointing game in uh bloomington indiana it was a tough loss. Indiana won on a last-second two-point conversion in overtime to win the game on a controversial call by the refs. Noah, I think we both wanted to pretty much just crawl up in a ball and cry after that game. Yeah, it absolutely sucked. And then the mood around campus is really tough um, because I think everybody knew Penn State was a better team and they probably deserved to win based on just looking at how much they outgained Indiana by um, and just, you know, the overall talent disparity. But Indiana just made the plays that they had to in order to win. And uh, it was really disappointing. I mean, I think Penn State really shot themselves in the foot. Um, it's something that a top 10 team, you know, prior to the game should not be doing. You know, they should never be in a position to lose to an unranked team like Indiana. Um, but, yeah, really disappointing. But, I, I, you know, I think just with a competitive outing against Ohio State tonight, if they can just take them, you know, be within a seven-point game in the fourth quarter, I think Penn State will start getting a little bit more respect. Uh, but they have to come out ready tonight because that was a bad loss. Yeah, definitely a bad loss. I mean, my take on this Ohio State game coming today, we're recording this on Halloween Day, um, is that they got to win this game if they want a chance at the playoff. If they don't, if they don't win this game, then they're looking at poss- at 10, 10, top ten at like most. And I don't think that they're going to be able to recover if they get a loss here. I don't know if you're feeling the same way. Yeah, kind of. It's tough. I mean, when you think about just being on with two, your season's over, but that's kind of how college football works. And uh, they were not blessed with the schedule. They've got Maryland next week. So, you know, you figure they'll be able to win that game. So if they can win tonight somehow, and, you know, they beat a team like Ohio State with Justin Fields, the quarterback, and they're two and one suddenly, uh, then you feel a lot better about them maybe getting to a playoff. But I think tonight's a must win. And it's tough to be in a must win against a team that might be a top three team in the country. Yeah, and it's already week two of the Big Ten season, so obviously not helping things at all. Um, so moving on, uh, staying within the college football realm, Notre Dame, in my opinion, they're extremely overrated. I think that their uh, their program name gets helps them more in the rankings than their football team does. Um, I think that number three is incredibly high after a 12-7 to win in Louisville. And then um, a 45-plus point beat down against a bad pit team that shouldn't be playing in the ACC. I think I don't expect Notre Dame to hold uh, their top 10 ranking or top four ranking, and I think that they're just going to eventually fall at some point. It's just a matter of what time. In my opinion, they're the Dallas Cowboys of the college football world. They come in with so much hype. They – uh, get talked up a lot. They come in with these incredibly high rankings, and then it's just an accident waiting to happen. Someone does something, and then the season goes into the toilet. Well, you look at the teams they've played. They've played Duke, South Florida, Florida State, Louisville, and Pittsburgh. I mean, they're not really beating any great teams. They're not beating any teams you think are going to be in the playoff. Um, so, you know, you have to give them credit for being 5-0 and because they're still 5-0. and They've gone out and done what they're supposed to do, unlike Penn State last week against Indiana. 
Um, but I agree with you, man. I don't think they're this big time team that people want to portray them as. They just have a big fan base and a lot of tradition. And then once they finally show, you know, the makings of a big squad, people really jump on their bandwagon. The, the game I'm interested to see with Notre Dame is uh, next week against Clemson. I think that'll really be a telltale as to how good they are. If they can even compete with them until the fourth quarter and uh, make Trevor Lawrence, if he's playing, I'm sure we'll get to that, make him a little bit nervous. Then you start after respecting them a little bit more. But until they play them, I don't really think I'm going to have a good read on what Notre Dame is this year. Yeah, and we could see, you know, if those games, assuming that their schedule still happens and no, no, it doesn't get canceled because COVID concerns and all that type of stuff, Notre Dame still has to play North Carolina, Clemson, and um, North Carolina, Clemson. And I believe there's another ACC opponent that I'm forgetting. Um, there's another team. But anyway, they, they my point is they still have a couple of games, a couple of critical games on their ACC schedule. Those games are going to swing their seasons. And I would not be surprised if they win like one of one of those games that the committee finds a reason to be like, oh, yeah, Notre Dame did, did this. Yeah, we're going to throw them in there. Just trying to somehow get the ratings, get Notre Dame fans back involved with TV. But anyway, that's my uh, anti-Notre Dame rant for the weekend. Um, so big storyline coming out of this week, Trevor Lawrence. He tested positive for COVID-19 on Thursday. And now his availability for that November 7th game against Notre Dame is questionable. He will be out this pat this weekend against Boston College. Uh, personally, I think Clemson's going to be fine this week. I think that they're going to be able to handle uh, losing Trevor Lawrence because I think Dabo Sweeney has that next man up mentality. Uh, what are you thinking about Clemson in this one? I think they're going to be able to win. I mean, they're, they're just a program that's infested with talent. They don't really need a quarterback to win one game. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence, you just want to make sure that he's all right for the long haul. Um, if they're going to win the college football playoff, then you're going to need him. And uh, really the big thing with them is keeping him healthy for his pro career too and uh, putting his health first. So I, I think they're going to be fine as a team. I don't see them taking a hit in the AP poll. Um, I think they'll be able to win. And obviously people are going to know, you know their star quarterback was out and they're still able to get a win. I think their schedule, as always, is pretty favorable too. Uh, so I wouldn't really be too worried about him, but obviously hoping that he gets better because, um, well, first of all, just, you know, human nature, hopefully he gets better. And two, he's going to be probably the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. And I think that's probably the number one thing on his mind right now. And, uh, you know, playing a meaningless game in November, you know, risking your health is not worth it. So, Yeah, definitely. And as a former Boston College fan, that team is woof. We have a good record, but it's very deceiving. And I think that that program just needs a rebuild, but uh, that's a whole another separate podcast story. So switching gears, we're going to move into the NFL Thursday night, Atlanta. Well, first of all, I'll get into this. One of three of your gentlemen's bets hit, bro. Um, not, a, not a good outing for you. Are you feeling good about this week's picks? Do you have three no. uh, picks? You're not I do, but uh, we'll save, we'll save them until we go through all the games. Uh, I'll do it at the end of it, but, I've been terrible all year, literally. But that wasn't just a one-week thing. Like, if you've – I've been doing this all year with my dad, and I think I'm, like, under 500 against the spread. It's been a really tough year for me. So this is the perfect spot to get your gambling advice. So with that in mind um, – hang on one second. All right, so – I was just – my computer be acting up. Anyway, technology. Thursday night, Atlanta, 
go, wins finally. They lost their game against Detroit in the most Atlanta way possible. Todd Gurley scores even though they don't want him to because they just want him to kneel and run out the clock. He tried stopping himself on the goal line, uh, but Matthew Stafford took the ball with a minute left, no timeouts, and just absolutely marched down the field. Pretty much sums up Atlanta's season at this point. Um, I honestly don't think that Atlanta is looking at a contender right now. I think that they're. it's only a matter of time before they blow it up. Uh, but it was a decent one against Carolina. Um, I Noah, how did you? What did, did you watch this game at all? Uh, what were some of your biggest uh, focus points from this game? I watched like ten minutes of it, maybe. <laughs> I really didn't get to it. Appealing game, but it is Thursday night football, so none of those Thursday night football games are appealing. Yeah, I mean, what we had the Giants and the Eagles the week before. Like, yeah. I, I like I like Joe Buck being on the call, but the game quality hasn't been that great. Um, no. I don't think Carolina's that good, but I wouldn't really put any stock into Atlanta winning it. I mean, they did a good job not blowing the lead in the fourth quarter because usually that's what they do in those types of games. They were able to get a stop. I did see the interception. Um, Teddy Bridgewater does a terrible throw. He threw it in a triple coverage, basically stared down his receiver the whole time uh, off his back foot. That was a bad throw. Um, but, I mean, Dan Quinn's out, so you kind of have to give the Falcons a little bit of hope because – I mean, Dan Quinn was a graduate of Morristown High School, and that was high school I went to back in Jersey. So everybody there was all Dan Quinn. And, like, during the Super Bowl, there was, like, go Falcons stuff all over the – or uh, all over in the building. And then, of course, they had that epic collapse against the Patriots. So I feel like he's always been kind of cursed. Um, but I've never really been a fan. Everybody always gets on me when I tell the truth about him and that he's not a good NFL head coach. And uh, that, that's – Reared its ugly head this year, but um, I don't really read too much into the game. But it goes with the two worst teams in that division by far. And, uh, you know, that was just something that Fox got stuck with. And uh, let's move on from it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, again, not high quality football because it, it's on Thursday night. So you got to assume it's not going to be high quality. Um, but switching gears, Arizona Cardinals, they're on their bye week this week. But they had an incredible win against Seattle, overtime win. They came back down like 10, I believe, in like the last three minutes or so. Um, the question is now, is this Arizona Cardinals team for real? I personally do not believe so. I think Kyler Murray, Murray's too young. He's shown flashes, but this team has been inconsistent this season. What are you seeing from Arizona? I wouldn't have bought into them until they beat Seattle. That was kind of like the telltale for me. And if you look at the points, usually one of the stats in sports that I look at for all teams when you're evaluating them is what's their point differential. Like in baseball, I think run differential is huge. And in the NFC West, the Cardinals will lead that division in point differential at plus 57. Uh, after that, it's the Rams at plus 52, then the Niners at plus 45, and then Seattle plus 31, which is weird. That first-place team is fourth in point differential. But I think that's just a product of – Russell Wilson being able to win a lot of close games uh, because their defense really ends up giving up a lot of points and he has to go down the field and score. Um, I think Arizona just being a pretty dominant team this year so far, uh, you have to put a lot of respect on them. And DeAndre Hopkins has completely transformed their offense and really accelerated the rebuild. I think Cliff Kingsbury has done a good job. I'm not necessarily sold on him as his big-time head coach yet, like Sean McVay. Um, you know, we'll have to wait and see on that. But I'm buying the Cardinals to be in a playoff team at the bare minimum and uh, being a real pain in the neck for whoever they get in the first round. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on there. Uh, I don't necessarily – I think that they could fight for a wild card spot 
And I think that they've beaten up too many bad teams, and that record's a little bit inflated right now. Uh, and I'm totally sold on Kyler Murray. I think he's the real deal. He's a great pick for uh, Cliff Kingsbury. And Arizona hit it on the head, hit the nail on the head with that draft pick. Um, but yeah, they've just beaten up too many bad uh, teams to like for me to say, oh, that they're going to be a, a, a contender in the NFC West. But I think that when they eventually do go to Seattle, if they can win that game at Seattle, even though there's no fans, um, that's still a tough place to play, especially as we get into the colder months. I think that's going to be a key showing of like, they win that game, then I'll be sold. But as of right now, I'm not sold. Um, but we're just going to move on, keep it moving. Uh, Los Angeles Rams at or played the Chicago Bears on Monday night. Now, my stance on Nick Foles, I think, has been pretty well documented here on this podcast. Nick Foles was the right quarterback to take us to the Super Bowl from that point on when Carson Wentz got injured to the Super Bowl. That being said, he is not a legitimate starting quarterback. He has failed every time, almost every time outside of one year with Chip Kelly, where he was given the ball and just saying, hey, you take this. Every time he's been sent, he's been told he's the, he's the guy, he hasn't done well. And that continued Monday night. The Rams absolutely demolished the Bears' uh, offense. The defense was all over Nick Foles getting pressure. I mean, honestly, Chicago is a pretender in my mind. I don't see them getting very far in the NFC. I think that record is severely, severely deceiving when they've won ugly against Detroit, New York, and Atlanta for all three of those games were decided by four points each. They lost to the Colts, and then they won by one point against Tampa Bay because Tom Brady didn't know what down it was. And then they won by a touchdown against Carolina. Like, I feel bad because this defense is talented, but they just – that offense is just horrendous. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, I've never been a Matt Nagy guy. I think I said that last week on the podcast. And um, that offense reared its ugly head on, on Monday night. There's just not a lot there. When you have David Montgomery as your lead back, I think he's pretty limited. And I think the receiving core is pretty fun. Tight end, you know, they got old Jimmy Graham. Uh, but they don't really have a solution at the quarterback. I feel like the offensive line is pretty hit or miss. Uh, and I just don't like the play calling most of the time. So their defense is talented. Their defense is good enough to be 5-2. and two, uh, But their offense is a below 500 type offense. And I think when we get to the end of the season, you're going to see Chicago more in that 8-8 eight and eight range rather than being like an 10-6, 11-5 team that they're on pace for. Yeah, did you see that thing? Um, excuse me. Uh, it was, I think... Brian Greasy was calling the Monday night game and he was talking about uh, their pre-meeting with Foles and Foles said, Foles basically said, yeah, whenever I get, or not whenever, but yeah, when I get some calls from Nagy, I know they're not going to work because I know I'm not going to get that much time in the pocket. And I'm like, we're really just allowing this guy to just try and somehow save Chicago Meanwhile, Nagy's just going to probably be in Chicago for at least another season. But I think Chicago's a mess. I think they got to clean it up. And uh, Khalil Max wasting his prime years there. But that's just yeah, me. I agree. I mean, I think they're a good enough team to compete, but they're not a. They're never going to be a Super Bowl contender with the current regime. I think with the coach and with the quarterback. I mean, it's like you said, Nick Foles that one season. He was the right guy to lead the Eagles to the Super Bowl. But Carson Wentz had them at 8-1 and one or whatever it was when they went into that LS in a night game. 
And um, if they didn't have such a weak NSC combined, which is kind of like the perfect story with every everybody on the team, the defense was awesome. The receivers are making plays. The offensive line was good. If they didn't have that kind of perfect storm, uh, you probably wouldn't have been able to do that. But you give them credit for being able to do it there. But I just don't see that happening again. No, not at all. Um, so moving on, we're just going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys because why not? Everyone loves to talk about them. Uh, they look absolutely garbage. I don't. I've never seen a Cowboys team this bad. I think in my in my life. In my limited twenty less than twenty years of watching football, I've never seen a Dallas Cowboys team this bad. Um, I honestly don't know who their starting quarterback is this week against the Eagles. I I seriously don't know his name. Um, and that last week they got absolutely smoked by the Washington football team TBDs. Uh, it's been a rough rough year for dallas fans which makes my life absolutely amazing but anyway it's dallas looks absolutely trash do you i i don't know if they i don't think they're going to be able to save their season in an fc east that's terrible i don't think they're going to do it no they're currently probably the worst team in the division which is scary to say because i know how terrible the giants are and uh the football team is no team to ride home about either but they pretty much beat down on Dallas last week and the quarterback for Dallas his name is Ben DiNucci uh, wow. and that's all you really need to know about him and their chances against the Eagles this weekend I mean if the Eagles can't win the division win this game by 20 points then you have to seriously worry about them because I think the Eagles are the only team that if they got healthy and they got a little bit hot could actually win like a playoff game uh, coming out of this division but Dallas is terrible I, I expected them to be a playoff team before the season I also expected Dak to be healthy the full season, but the coaching staff's terrible. You had players uh, going behind the coaching staff's backs and anonymously kind of ripping the team and saying we're not prepared. Uh, the defense is just a mess from top to bottom, and the receivers. I mean, I've never been the Mari Cooper guy. He takes himself out of games when it gets tough. Uh, Stevie Lamb's also a moment of, you know, leave him alone out of this conversation. Zeke, they never should have paid. Uh, that You never pay running backs that much money, especially a guy who, was good, but also a product of having a great offensive line, being in a great situation um, with Jason Garrett as his coach. You know, he's just going to feed him. Uh, so I think Dallas has kind of had a rude awakening to what their future is or could be if they don't make the right decisions. And this year they're shot, but uh, they have to take what they learned from this year and make sure it doesn't happen again next year. They got to pay Dak. Uh, they got to not pay. I, mean, I don't even know who else they have coming up for you. If you can get rid of Zeke somehow, get rid of Zeke. Uh, if you could trade Cooper, trade Cooper, kind of build around Lamb and Gallup with these two young receivers, um, and then just draft defense, 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 and hope that your offensive line can come back healthy next year. That's really their only hope. Yeah, I mean, Amari Cooper, he's a great receiver, great talent, not denying his talent. But that game against uh, Philly last year, division crown is on the line. Within the last two minutes, you take yourself out. I get he was probably dealing with an injury pain or something along those lines, but that's like when, uh, I don't know if you saw the last dance, but when Scottie Pippen refused to check himself back into the game because uh, Phil Jackson drew up a play for Tony Kukoc to win the game instead of uh, Pippen himself. It was kind of like that type of moment for me where he's never going to live that down. I think that's always going to be stained on him. And when he gets a $100 million contract extension and Dak doesn't get paid at all, is ridiculous business practice by Jerry Jones. But that's how he's made his living so far. 
in the NFL. But we're going to get into the game picks here. Kicking off 1, 1 p.m. We're going to start with our 1 p.m. games. New England at Buffalo. This feels like the first time in like decades that Bill, Bill Belichick has gone into Buffalo as an underdog. Josh Allen's going to continue playing hot in this one. And I think personally, I think this is pretty much uh, open and shut. I think Cam Newton has been left to just wither and left high and dry with no weapons. Julian Edelman isn't playing in this game. Um, I think the page, I think the bills win this one pretty easily. How are you feeling about this? Yeah. I mean, last weekend or last week on the podcast, I tried to have some faith in the Patriots and tried to say that Bill Belichick would be able to will them to a victory. Um, and just after that performance against the Niners, I'm kind of all out on that. So I think the best team in this game is going to win. And like you said, Buffalo is just a better team. The game's in Buffalo. And uh, I'm shocked with spreads only three and a half. That might have to be a gentleman's bet. Yeah, and we'll, we'll be saving those gentlemen bets. We'll teaser. We'll teaser for later on in the show. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty much on the same page here. Bills win that one. Tennessee at Cincinnati, another open shot one. I think Cincinnati's just not developed enough. Joe Burrow kept him in that game against Cleveland last week, uh, only lost by a field goal. But I think Tennessee's still rolling, even after that loss against Pittsburgh. I think that they're still going to keep doing their thing, just feeding Derrick Henry, let him run over everyone, and just let him carry them to the end zone. And I think they're going to win this one pretty easily here. I think Cincinnati is going to be able to compete with them. I think it'll be kind of like a thing where Joe Burrow just keeps them in the game until the mid fourth quarter, but then the Titans pull away in the end. I mean, that's usually what happens when better teams play one and five teams. Uh, but I think Cincinnati or one, five and one, but I think Cincinnati is a pesky one, five and one team. Uh, as weird as that might sound. And I think they've got a lot of talent on offense and I don't think Tennessee's defense is that great. Uh, so I think that the Bengals might be able to put up, you know, 20, 25 points and make the Titans score 30 to beat him. And I think in the end, they'll probably be able to do that. But um, at least I think the first half will be competitive. So I think the Titans win it, but it'll be, it should be at least a decent game. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I agree with you on that Cincinnati take. I think that this is a tough and scrappy team. I think Joe Burrow in his first year as a starter has already turned around that culture at least 75% of the way there. I mean, Carlos Dun- I'm we even saw that with the whole Carlos Dunlap situation where – he, he, they lost the game, and he already put his house up for sale, like, right after. Um, but I think that reflects the culture change that's happening in Cincinnati, where they want to win, the players want to win, and they're just, they just don't have the pieces around them. And I think that they could – it's just going to take a couple of years. They're going to have to draft offensive linemen. They're going to have to draft some linebackers just to set the message and set the tone that, like, we have prospects basically coming down the pipeline – it's just going to take a while. You just got to hang in there with us. And also, I'm pretty sure Cincinnati is the only team without an indoor practice facility, which is absolutely nuts to me because Cincinnati is a place where you should have an indoor facility. But we're just going to ignore that. Moving on, pretty uh, interesting AFC matchup here. Oakland Raiders – or excuse me, not Oakland. Wow, geez. Um, Las Vegas Raiders against the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield had an amazing game. He started off slow. He missed his first five passes and threw an interception, but he was on fire after. I think he only missed one pass after that, finished with like four or five touchdowns. Uh, This Cleveland running game has still been successful. I think 
the Raiders have been too inconsistent for me to buy in that they're going to win this game. But Cleveland's been inconsistent, but I'm going to roll with Cleveland. I've been on the Brown bandwagon for a while now, um, and I'm going to stay on there. My seat's staying warm. Going against you here. I think the Browns and the franchise always lose games like this where they kind of have an opportunity and they let it slip away. Um, if you look at the Raiders, they're fifth in total passing, and the Browns are 30th against the pass. So I think you can look at Derek Carr and some of those receivers having a big game. And once you get into kind of like a slug trust like last week, anything can happen. Now, Baker Mayfield will bet them out of that. Um, I'm just not going to bet on him doing that two weeks in a row. I think you're a little bit bigger of a Baker fan than I am. I think he's good. I just don't know if I'm sold on him as being like this franchise guy who's going to win them a bunch of these types of games. Um, I think Vegas has a lot to play for. They're three and three. Uh, they could still sneak into the playoffs, you know, if they get hot. And um, I think this is an opportunity for them to win a top row game and kind of show the world, hey, we're not going away yet. So I'm going to take the Raiders. Yeah. I mean, I, I am sold on Baker Mayfield. I've been a big Baker Mayfield fan. Um, I think that he has gotten more attention because of his antics that he did in college and a little bit towards the beginning of his pro, pro career. But um, I think he's done a good job of turning the page. I think he's taken that approach and he's learning and he's maturing. So I'm going to stick with Baker. And I think that he's just gotten a little bit of a raw deal, but I think time is taking on him to prove himself. And if he can win this game, win a couple of games, get a winning streak going and get them into the playoffs, then I think he'll silence all the doubters. Do you think that there's anything that he can do particularly to be like, to show people be like, yeah, I'm the fucking guy. This is my team. And all of you guys are wrong. All the analysts, all the insiders, this is my team. I mean, I think that all he has to do is get them into the postseason. Uh, I really think that anything he can do in season is going to be enough. Um, unless they, you know, they're eight now and they're already locked for the playoffs. But I think he just needs to keep them playing well and not be the reason that they lose games and maybe have some fourth quarter comebacks like last week and, you know, have games where he throws four touchdowns and no picks, stuff like that. Maybe a big time throw that, gets put all over sports center like the Patrick Mahomes on the run, you know, 50 yards downfield, uh, just something like just stuff like that. And uh, just not be in headlines for bad reasons. You know, you never want, I, mean, I feel like I always see Baker Mayfield fighting with Colin Cowherd or yeah. you know, something kind of stupid that gets him in headlines. Just stay out of headlines. Like nobody wants their quarterback in headlines. So if you yeah. can do that and they just keep winning games, I think people will start to get higher on him. I know I will. So. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. All right. This next game, I think, is one of the more interesting games, in my opinion, because Indianapolis at Detroit. Now, the Colts have been good. DeForest Buckner has been an absolute monster for that defense. But Detroit's going on a little bit of a roll here, and I think they're getting slept on, honestly. I think Matthew Stafford's been one of the most underrated quarterbacks for a very long time. Adrian Peterson has been producing at a relatively good level considering his age. And I think that this could be the start of a Detroit run where they could start climbing into that NFC North uh, divisional race. And I think that Indianapolis, I think that uh, Phillip Rivers is going to get a little greedy and start throwing the ball too much and cost them with turnovers. So I'm going to go Detroit in this one because I think Stafford's playing very well. They still have Kenny Galladay. uh, And Adrian Peterson's still producing behind them and giving Stafford the support that he hasn't had in like really years. Yeah, it's a tough game to call. I mean, I like the Lions and I like them preseason. I just feel like that franchise always loses games like this, similar to the Browns a little bit. 
or, you know, they have a chance to really get their season on a good path and they lose a game like this. Um, the Colts are still forward to, they've got a good running game. They've got a very good defense. I think they're just a little bit more rounded as a team. The really thing that scares me from the Colts is Rivers being the quarterback. Uh, but I like the coach better with Indy. I like the running game better. I like the defense better. So I'm just going to take Indianapolis based on those principles. But I think it could go either way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're pretty much on the same page here. Phil, I think Philip Rivers is a is a good quarterback. It's just he's gotten he's gotten old. I mean, we just have to face it. And he can't make the throws that he used to, and uh, he's cost his team games. But so far, not this year. I think Frank Reich has done a good job of uh, splitting reps with Philip Rivers and just running the ball, keeping a balanced attack. Don't let Rivers be slinging it around. Uh, all the time, but I I'm still gonna pick Detroit. I think you picked Detroit. We're on the same page. Let's keep it moving. Uh, Minnesota at Green Bay. I think this is open and shut. I think Minnesota's trash. I think their secondary needs a lot of work. Um, I think that Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers is just rolling. Aaron Rodgers is just the baddest man on the planet right now, and I think he's gonna have a pretty good day to say the least against Minnesota. How are you feeling about this one? Yeah, I have nothing here. It's just Aaron Rodgers against Kirk Cousins. The game's in Lambeau Field, and uh, the Packers are a way better team, top to bottom, defensively, rushing attack, receivers, coach. Yeah, everything that you would want in the Packers right now, they're giving you. Uh, despite that loss to the Bucks, that was really the only blemish on this season so far. But bad weeks happen to everybody, I guess. So I'm going to take the Packers big here. I think this could be a blowout. Yeah, I mean, I just – Kirk Cousins is – the MVP for the Minnesota Vikings is Kirk Cousins' agent because he has swindled so much money out of Minnesota that it's insane. Um, and I think that Green Bay is going to keep it rolling, and we're just going to keep it moving here. Another pretty much lock guaranteed, New York Jets at the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Le'Veon Bell plays uh, the Jets again for the first time since he's been cut, I believe. Um so I think this is pretty much open and shut. Patrick Mahomes is going to have a big game. And uh, we're just going to honestly, like, I think it's a lock. I'm sure you feel the same way. How are you thinking about this one? Okay. <laughs> I didn't even know if we were going to go over this game. I'm like, it's, uh, <laughs> I thought we might just say, all right, Chiefs, Jets, Chiefs win. But, you know, I don't really yeah, need to provide Chiefs any analysis win. here. Well, yeah. I'm really just interested to hear, do you think Le'Veon Bell or Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a better play in fantasy this week? Or both. I think Edward, I think Edwards Hilaire is going to get more time because he's more familiar with the offense, and I would expect Andy Reid to either a slowly bring in Bell, um, which he kind of did a little bit in the last week, I think. Um, slowly bring him in as he's learning the offense, and then we're gonna we're gonna unleash him in the playoffs when teams don't necessarily have film on him; they only have film on him from the Jets, where he's been trash, and Adam Gase is a stooge, and. Um, Hasn't been necessarily the uh, – what was I going to say? Shoot. Uh, <laughs> oh, and I think he wants to have that limited role with Le'Veon Bell so that he can experiment more in playoffs when defenses aren't focused or keyed in on him. Uh, so, yeah, Chiefs win this one pretty easily here. Jets are still the Jets, and I think they're going to finish home in 16, honestly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Um, all right, so we're going to keep it moving. Uh, Los Angeles Rams at Miami. Tua makes his first start. I think the Los Angeles defense has been incredible, 
And I think that Aaron Donald's going to have a feast in this one. And I kind of feel bad for Tua because I would, I wanted his first start to be against a worse defense so that he looks better. But uh, I guess there's no better way for him to learn than facing one of the best defenses in the NFL. I mean, I'm all in on Tua. I just from a player perspective, we haven't seen him in the NFL yet, obviously, but I just love watching him in Alabama. I think he's got great playmaking ability. His arms very accurate, very, you know, good. I just think he's got a lot of the makings of a quarterback uh, that could really succeed in this league for a long time. The one knock on him, you'd say, is the health, and uh, that's going to be the most interesting thing to watch. I think Tua's going to keep them in this game. I think everybody's going to kind of get a little bit of Tua hype and Tua fever and everything like that. But the Rams are a better team. I trust McVay to win the game. I trust the defense to get a stop against a rookie quarterback when they need to, and I think the Rams win it late. But Miami, kind of like Cincinnati, will take a good team down to the fourth quarter, make them sweat a little bit, and earn the win. All right, we're going to keep it moving here. Pittsburgh at Baltimore, biggest game in the 1 o'clock window, and also one of the biggest games of the year. Pittsburgh still rolling, got an undefeated record. Baltimore sitting at 5-1. and one. Honestly, Baltimore is still loaded on defense. I think many people forget. They brought in Des Bryant. He's on the practice squad. They're not really sure if I would expect Des to sit out this game simply because it's too early. Um, but Baltimore's defense is not to be slept on when we're talking about Pittsburgh's defense, who is easily one of the best in the NFL. That run defense is incredible. They've stopped, they stopped Tennessee uh, last weekend, and now they face a Baltimore team that's basically focusing on the rush when they're playing offense. Now, this is a really tough game to call, but if I had to call one, I'm going to have to go Pittsburgh. They've shown that they can stop the run when they need to against some of the best rushing teams in the NFL. And I think Lamar Jackson is just going to have one of those games where we see the Lamar Jackson from the rookie year where he was struggling to throw the ball, maybe uh, fumbles once or twice, but I'm not necessarily sold on Baltimore winning this game. Yeah, I mean, if you my, – my friends, if they listen to this, will know that I'm not a huge Lamar guy. I think he's a very good quarterback, but he's not the guy I want leading my team into a playoff game against a tough team like Pittsburgh. And I think the matchup's just pretty bad for him, honestly. I mean, the Pittsburgh's kind of weak against the pass. I don't even want to say weak, but that's their weakness on defense because they've just been able to stop everybody pretty much on the run. And Baltimore's offense is 31st in passing and they're first in rushing. It doesn't really make for a good recipe for success for Baltimore against a team like Pittsburgh. And I think it's easy to kind of get lost in how good Pittsburgh's been. You forget that Baltimore's a really good team, too. They're still 5-1. and one. They're still one of probably the top five or six teams I'd take to win the Super Bowl this year, despite not really believing in Lamar's formula in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, like making him become a pocket passer. I think that's ultimately what this game's going to come down to. It'll still be close. Baltimore's defense is going to play well. I can see Marlon Humphrey, you know, creating a turnover and getting them good field position or something in this game. I think Harbaugh, a little bit of an edge over Tomlin, although they're both very, very, very good coaches. I think it'll be an awesome game. I wish it was the Sunday night game and not the Eagles and the Cowboys, but that's kind of a story for another day. But uh, I'll, see, I'll <laughs> take Pittsburgh in the end, too. All right, so we're both on Pittsburgh here. Uh, yeah, I think this is pretty much – is, but this will be a fun game, though. If, and if, if there are any NFL games to – like, you have to watch this game – this is one of those games this weekend, so it'll be a fun one. But moving into the late afternoon slot, we got at 4.05 kickoff, we have the Los Angeles Chargers going up against the Denver Broncos. 
these two teams, I think, reflect each other very well. Like, they're both teams that are on the rise with some good weapons, and they have quarterbacks who are on the rise. Uh, but I think Denver is just not at the point right now where they can contend with this type of Chargers team that really they've lost to single digits pretty much every time they've lost. So if they get a couple of calls their way, they're sitting at five and two, maybe, um, or not five and two, five and one, maybe, uh, I don't even know, like possibly, possibly six and oh, but I think that's unlikely. I'm all sold on Air Bear. I think that the Chargers, the Chargers was a great team to go to for him to learn, and he has great weapons around him. And I think uh, Los Angeles is going to win this one, especially when the weather report's calling for like 65 degrees. It's perfect for him. So I think that Denver wins this one pretty easily here. You've been on the uh, on the weather with these Denver games the last two weeks. Last week you had the 20 degrees. Got to keep an eye on them. Got to keep an eye on them. It's smart, smart. Uh, I have, again, not much to add here. I think we're pretty much on the same page. I mean, the Chargers are second in offense this year, and they're a really good team. They're really fun to watch. It's the best two and four team I think there is, uh, just because they've been in every game, but they find ways to lose it. Uh, that could happen this week, but I think it mostly will happen against teams like the Saints where we've seen them lose those games and the Chiefs this year, uh, not against teams that they're significantly better than. So I think the Chargers win the end. Yeah, and I think Drew Locke is just – he doesn't have the weapons around him. Cortland Sutton is out. Um, he's been out for the season for a long time. Uh, there's another receiver that I'm blanking on. I think it was K.J. Hamler. K.J. Hamler has been – dealing with nagging injuries. I'm not sure he wasn't out for the whole season, but um, I think Denver's just hurt with injuries and they just got to look towards next year, start stocking up on draft picks, seeing where you can improve and just where you can somehow contend in the AFC West. That's pretty much loaded at this point. Um, But yeah, let's keep it moving. Big NFC uh, matchup here, New Orleans at Chicago. I don't think Chicago bounces back in this one. Even though New Orleans has been suspect with their defense, I think Chicago is so – their offense is so uh, inconsistent. I'm not willing to buy into them. And if Chicago wants to win this game, they got to limit New Orleans to like 14 to 17 points, and I don't think that's going to happen. So I think Chicago is going to lose this one, and New Orleans is going to keep on rolling to 5-2. and two. Yeah, I look at the Bucks and the Saints in a very similar way. And the Bucks played the Bears and Soldier Field, I want to say, two weeks ago. And the Bears won that game. And granted, Tom Brady forgot the downs. But I think the Bears were a little bit better in that game overall. And I feel like the Bears have just kind of gotten a lot of breaks where they've had their tougher opponents at home. And they've been able to win those games. And then they've beaten some so-so teams on the road. And I think that, I mean, spread being four and a half, might have to tease that a little bit later. I think the Bears will just keep this game really competitive, and in the end, it's going to come down to a couple plays. Breeze doesn't have Michael Thomas, and the Bears are pretty healthy offensively. I think I'm just going to, for the sake of going against you, I think I'm just going to take Chicago in this one. Just to, I mean, I grant that I don't really believe in them <laughs> as a playoff contender, but I think you know them being six and two with this team would be pretty remarkable, and I can see it happening. Bro, um, if you if you win if you win that game though, if you if Chicago wins this game. That that next that next football pod may be a tough one for me to me to call me for me to host that that one will be a tough pill to swallow, um, but anyway, we're gonna focus on the NFC West in this one. Uh, San Francisco at Seattle rematch of the NFC Championship was it five years ago with the Sherman rant? 
Um, and now Sherman faces his former team again this year. Uh, Russell Wilson has been pretty much carrying this team, playing, carrying the Seahawks, playing at an MVP level, making some incredible throws. Uh, Patrick Peterson like shut down DK Metcalf last game, which I think was should have been the storyline over his chase down of Buda Baker. Um, but I think San Francisco's rolling. I think they've won two or three straight games. They're bouncing back. They're looking like the San Francisco team that we're used to seeing. And honestly, I don't see Seattle's defense holding San Francisco's offense enough to be able to like win this game, uh, especially given that that secondary has been banged up or just straight out trash most times. So uh, I'm going to take San Francisco. I think Jimmy G has a pretty decent typical Jimmy G outing. I would expect like maybe 200 yards passing, a couple touchdowns, but overall I think they're going to keep running the ball and try and keep uh, dealing with uh, just not making stupid mistakes or taking stupid shots. What are you thinking in this game? I've got the Seahawks just for the sole reason I do not see Russell Wilson losing back-to-back games. I think San Francisco could definitely you can make the argument they're a better team overall. Um, I just think Seattle, coming off that really gut-wrenching loss to Arizona, a game that they shouldn't have lost. They, they were in position to win it. It was really handed to them, and they still weren't able to do it. I think Wilson's just going to put his team on his back this weekend and get a win. I think Seattle's a little bit mad about last year, too. You know, that last play in Week 17 coming down to the goal line against the Niners, and the Niners go on a Super Bowl run while Seattle has to play on the road throughout the postseason. I think that's going to be in the back of their minds, and I think that they're going to play as good of a game as they've played this year. And uh, I expect Seattle to really make a statement this weekend and still show that this is their division to lose. Yep, I totally I could totally see your point, um, but I think San Francisco is ready to win now and ready to make a move in the NFC West. But we're just going to – That's the best game of the week, I think. Oh, that or Pittsburgh-Baltimore. I was going to say, that's a that's a bit of a hot take, sir. We're going to talk about – So, okay, so let's have that discussion. Uh, Dallas, which game is going to be better? We, which game is going to be better? We have San, Baltimore-Pittsburgh, San Francisco-Seattle, or the trash NFC East matchup that we're going to get into later on, like right now. In a couple of minutes, uh, Dallas versus Philly on Sunday Night Football. Chris Collinsworth's going to be calling the game, so I'm going to be excited about that one. Um, I think that out of those three games, I think Pittsburgh-Baltimore is going to be the best one. I think that this could turn into San Francisco just stomping on Seattle. Do you think? I mean, yeah, it could. It could. We'll see. All I know is that Dallas and Philly should not be on Sunday Night Football because I love Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, too. (laughs) And uh, I wish they were calling a better game than this, but um, yeah, they I don't are. Know if you want to get into this game, but Philly should really put a. I mean, I could see like forty-nine to seven, something like that. Ice. Okay, let's get into this game. All right, so Dallas at Philly, big rivalry game. Darius Slay talked about it, I think, earlier in the week, talk, talking to the media. He was saying like it feels like a playoff atmosphere in this one. No one wants to lose to Dallas. Noah, if you think our offense can put up. I should say our, as in Philly. Um, if you think the Philly offense can put up 49 points and they do that, I will hug you. Like, honestly, like if they could somehow put up more than 25 points in in this game, I will be thrilled. I think that while people are saying this should be an easy lock for Philly, that uh, it won't be because it's, it's still a divisional game. I think Zeke is going to have a pretty good game here um, and that – the fact that 
you know, Carson Wentz needs to prove himself in this one. He needs to have a great outing against this Dallas defense that's really historically bad this year. And I think that Philly's going to win this one. They're rolling in at 10 and a half point favorites. Uh, I would take that. I think it's going to be double digits, uh, but it's still going to be, it's not going to be an easy double digit win. We're, there's going to be some some tough sledding early, but I think that they're going to pull away in the second half. And uh, I think Carson Wentz is going to silence the doubters in this one. And Ben DiNucci will light the world on fire. Hopefully, uh, hopefully not. But uh, Ben DiNucci is finally getting his name called in headlines. Uh, what are you thinking here? What's your thought process on this one? I see 38, 13, something like that, really. I think if we could do that, if we could do that, that would be amazing. But I do not put that much faith into our offense. Yeah, I might be giving you too much credit there. But I don't know, man. I mean, the way that your offense looks in the second half against the Giants, I think the Giants' defense, albeit not good, is at least competitive. I think it's better than Dallas is at least right now. And um, you're going to have a little bit of momentum coming off that game. You'll have 10 days of rest. And, uh, you know, the offense, I'd I think you're going to score a lot of points. I mean, everybody Dallas. I mean, the Redskins are sorry, the Washington football team. I guess I'm canceled now, but uh, the Washington football team oh. scored 25 points against them. So I, I think Philly's scoring the over 30. He says the R word. No. Um, so we're going to do Monday night, Monday night football. I don't know why this game was slated for a Monday night football game, to be quite honest. Even, even with the teams fully healthy, still don't see why this the game. The Giants was- are awesome. Sure. Okay. All right. Um, Tampa at New York Giants. I think Buccaneers won this one pretty easily. I don't know why. Again, don't know why this game was slated. Even if the Giants had Saquon, I still would have been like this. This game is open and shut. Tampa's a lock. I don't like there's no line. I don't think. Um, And I think that Tampa's Tom Brady is just going to absolutely crush, crush New York by himself. And Gronk's just going to be absolutely having a, a field day with new with the Giants defense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Giants. <laughs> I, I I don't really I don't know what to say about them. I mean, they don't have a lot going for them. Uh, Tampa's is, this is probably a game they need to win to keep pace with the Saints in the in the South. And uh, I think Brady's going to be motivated. It's still a team that's beaten him in the Super Bowl twice uh, by a Hall of Fame quarterback by the name of Eli Manning, who's not playing anymore. Uh, but Daniel Jones, the successor, will uh, will be shooting up. But I think Tom Brady is going to be motivated. It's going to be a probably a 30, 30 point, uh, not thirty point win, but you know at least a two touchdown win. Uh, I think he's going to have like four touchdowns. I would expect thirty point win. They beat they beat the Raiders by twenty five. I think this could be a thirty point win easily. But we will conclude. That was the conclusion of our football segment because football is not the only thing to be happening this weekend or the thing that happened this past week. The Los Angeles Dodgers finally win a world series for the first time since 1988, which was the longest drought since the team moved to Brooklyn in 1958. And now Clayton Kershaw, finally world series champion. This is a big baseball show, baseball show. So we're going to get into this. Um, Blake Snell was pulled early in game six. He had nine strikeouts on 75 pitches, less than 75 pitches, I believe. Um, honestly, that's going to be the biggest storyline. That's going to be the biggest thing for Tampa is, like, you guys really screwed this up. You guys really messed up here. Pulled Blake Snell when he was dealing. Um, but did you – no, did you think this was a good move? We saw this with Kershaw. Dave Roberts did the same thing earlier in the World Series. Didn't want him going too long and getting beaten up later on in like the sixth or seventh innings. 
Uh, did you think this was a good move by Rays manager Kevin Cash, or did you think he just should have left Snell in and just let the chips fall? Well, I thought the Dodgers are going to win this series after they won game five. I didn't see Tampa coming back and winning two in a row. Uh, just because of how crazy game four was, I thought if Tampa really wanted to, if they were actually going to win the series, they had to go up 3-2. Uh, so once the Dodgers did that, I kind of said, okay, they're going to win. You know, Whether it's game six or game seven, they'll fuel or game seven. Uh, as far as game six goes, though, I would not have pulled Snell. I think that's easy to say now. I think everybody's going to say they wouldn't have pulled Snell. That was one of the ones, you know, texting some of my friends, like, why are they doing this? My dad and I are kind of really confused talking about the game, too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, I, I don't hate the reasoning behind it because third time through the order, a lot of the numbers will tell you that you're more likely to get hit the third time around because these guys have seen you twice. And, uh, you know, they kind of know what's coming and they've seen your arms angle. And it's just a little bit easier once that happens. And I think Blake Snell, third time through the order, it's gotten worse, you know, throughout his career. So I kind of get the reasoning, and nobody knows that better than Kevin Cash. He's got every single number, and he's got all of his analytics guys telling him this stuff. But at some point, you have to have a feel, and he demonstrated really no baseball feel there. I mean, that was really just a strictly numbers decision. There was nothing that showed you that Snell was laboring. I mean, the only hit that he gave up in that inning was a little bloop single from Austin Barnes to center field, who was the nine hitter. It's not like that ball was hit hard. It's not like it was a home run. It was just a little bloop single. I mean, you could definitely pitch around that. Mookie Betts having reverse splits. I mean, I don't really think that's a huge deal, but he does have reverse splits. And Mookie said himself after the game, I was happy they got him out of there. Uh, and, you know, you bring in a righty who throws hard. Mookie Betts is a contact hitter who can handle velocity. And the righty you bring in is Dick Anderson just giving up runs in six straight appearances. I just didn't really agree with the move. I thought if they were going to pull Snell, and I didn't want them to do that. It should have been for Dio Castillo and not for Nick Anderson. Um, but really, this is all a moot point. I mean, they scored one run in the game. They're not going to win a World Series game scoring one run against a team like that. But all the offensive firepower the Dodgers have, they're at some point going to break through. And uh, the Rays offense, besides uh, Rosarena, who was pretty much Barry Bonds throughout this postseason, really didn't have a lot to offer. And I think the better team won in the end. So I, I'm not going to really look at that decision and say this completely changed the World Series. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people would agree with you there that, like, even though Snell got pulled, it didn't necessarily define the whole World Series. It didn't create this ma- this massive turning point. It was a, uh, it was kind of like uh, okay, that was just one thing that dug them in a deeper hole. So now Clayton Kershaw, he was one of those guys. He was so fan. He's been fantastic in the regular season. Has struggled in October and in the postseason. Now he finally gets that monkey off his bat. Now he's finally a World Series champion after dealing with. An Astros team that was cheating, a Red Sox team that was confirmed already have been cheating over the past four or five years. Now he finally gets his one. He finally gets his one, and he can finally call himself champion. Did you always uh, see Kershaw as one of those guys that was a routine choker? He didn't. He can never get over the hump. Or were you one of those guys that was like, he's dealing with some of the best offenses in the American League? It just happens in baseball. You get you tend to get roughed up in the postseason. Like, what were your thoughts on Kershaw before this World Series? And give me your thoughts after this World Series, now that he's finally a champion. Well, it was a mix of both. I mean, I think when you look at the big-time pitchers throughout history, you never saw a guy like Sandy Koufax, for example, get hit in the postseason like Kershaw, or a guy like John Smoltz or Tom Seaver, some of these all-time greats, Pedro Martinez. Uh, these aren't guys who you kind of label as guys who can't get it done in the postseason. And that's the type of light that we want to talk about Kershaw in. And, um, you know, I, I think you alluded to it. When you face 
a bunch of these American League lineups, and you have the DH now, and uh, it's it's just a lot of talent. It's and especially in a fly ball era where one hanging curveball could get hit out, and it's a three-run home run, like it happened to Yuri Gurriel in Game Three or Game Four of uh, the 2017 World Series, and that could really change the outlook of your stat line in the series. I I really just I felt like Kershaw at some point was going to get over the hump. I didn't know when because uh, I thought it might have been last year, and then they brought him in against Soto and Rendon, and he gave up back-to-back home runs, and the Nationals end up winning that dramatic Game 5 uh, en route to a World Series title. Uh, he's just had, I mean, when you get to the postseason as much as he does, I mean, the Dodgers have been in, they've won the division, I think, eight years in a row, and he's pitching Game 1 for them pretty much every single year. When you're appearing in that many postseason games, you're going to give up some runs. You're going to have some bad starts. And, uh, you know, I think it was really just him having bad starts in elimination games that kind of turned people off. But to me, that game five, that was an elimination game for the Dodgers because you have that dramatic walk-off with Brett Phillips and the misplay at center field and the misplay at the plate. And you kind of just sit here thinking, okay, the Dodgers are going to Dodger again. This is Dave Roberts. This is what this franchise has done over the past five, six years. Um, You know, this is just part of the course. And he shoves in game five. And he completely changes his narrative. I think he completely rewrote his legacy with that start. I think it was six innings, one run. Uh, he was just dealing, and I think he had a point where he retired 10 or 11 straight. And when you have a pitcher kind of just going out there and throwing up zeros, one through three innings, getting the team back in the dugout, allowing them to hit, I think about the loss last night, it's huge. And, um, you know, I think when it's all said and done, I'm going to think of him as the best pitcher of my generation, my first, you know, watching baseball. And um, I think that's the light he deserves to be talked in. And overall, when he retires and he's in the Hall of Fame, uh, he should be thought of as three-time Cy Young MVP and World Series champion Clayton Kershaw and not playoff choker Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, definitely. And some of those pitchers you talked about, Koufax, Martinez, Smoltz, they've gotten beat up, and they've still found themselves in the Hall of Fame, and they're still great pitchers in our eyes. So, well, that'll do it. That's a weekly wrap from the Black and Blue Pod. We will be discussing the NBA offseason in the very near future, so keep an eye out for that episode here. Uh, We're just going to wrap this up. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms as well as podcast services like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. Uh, Your subscription and follows mean just as much as you actually playing the episode. Uh, Thanks again for listening um, and I hope that you guys have a great rest of your day and hopefully you enjoyed this one. So 